This is the 28th message in this series. We started in the, in the A's and we're up to the F's. Got a long ways to go to get to Z. So we're just going to keep moving along. Next Sunday we talk about the family. And I do believe there's hope for the family. And we're looking forward to that. If you will take your Bible where we read from a few moments ago and look just above verse 12 in Colossians 3, you probably will see this title, Character of the New Man. Character of the New Man. In that listing is this statement in verse 13, forgiving one another. Do you see it? Even as Christ forgave you, so you also, and would you underline must? You must do. It's the 11th commandment. You must. It is not optional. You don't have a choice if you're going to be healthy. You must forgive. My discovery is that folk really don't know how, and that's my joy today in coming to you to talk about learning how to forgive. Most of us expect God to forgive us of everything we do wrong, but we're very reluctant to emulate that characteristic. Now, isn't that true? It's my discovery. People always expect God to forgive them, no matter what they've done. But to turn around and do that for others is another story, it seems. So we really must learn how to forgive. I don't know if you've ever had a dog like we had when the boys were very small. We've not had pets for years because it seems they don't thrive in our household. I think it's because we're gone so much. Very hard to keep pets. But the boys were four or five years old, somewhere in there. We lived in Maple Valley, Washington. Doesn't that sound beautiful? Just the word Maple Valley. And it was beautiful. The church was situated on a five-acre parcel, and next to the church was the parsonage. We lived right next door to the church. In fact, when Randy went to the first grade and they asked him what his father did for his work, he said he doesn't work, he just goes to the church. <laughs> That's a fact. That's what he said to the teacher. So we're living right next to the church with this little mongrel dog that was given to us for the boys. About that big. No bigger than that. I don't even remember what we called him, but I remember his personality. I don't know if he had been abused as a pup or what, but every time anybody came near our driveway, that dog went into a campaign of his own. He would nip at heels, grab onto pant legs, raise the biggest fuss, and you can imagine 
what that would be like when the preacher's living right by the church and people are coming constantly to see him. Here's this little dog yipping and yapping and making this big commotion, and I'd have to yell at him, whatever his name, sit down, it's all right. And then he would go over and he would sit down, but I'll never forget this dog because even though he would be over there, Doing what I said, he was always going like this. Inside, he was not sitting down. I knew what he wanted. He wanted to leap from that position and attack this person that was with me created havoc at the parsonage. I had to get rid of the dog. Finally, it could not put up with it anymore. She just would not back off. And I think about that dog when I deal with people. <laughs> They're over. <laughs> I hear what you say. <laughs> I see some of you have had dogs like that. Some of you may go home to one today. <laughs> He's waiting. <laughs> well, those intermittent growls are much like our nature when, when it comes to forgiveness. <laughs> oh, how hard it is to learn to forgive, to let go. One of the great statements Jesus made was in Luke chapter 6, verse 37, when he was talking to his followers and he said, Judge not, and you shall not be judged. Condemn not. Oh, by the way, people always quote the first part. That's not the whole verse. Oh, they can say, Judge not. <laughs> Judge not. You ever had that experience? People are really good about quoting that, but that's only a third of the verse. The middle part says, condemn not, and you shall not be condemned. And the last part, nobody even remembers. Forgive, and you will be forgiven. That's all in one verse. Judge not, condemn not, forgive, and you will be forgiven. In an article in Charisma Magazine some time back, there was the story of the friends of evangelist Gene Lilly by the name of George and Mary Jo. George and Mary Jo had several children, and their oldest was Bill. Bill was a big disappointment to his parents. He lived a real rugged life. He was a non-churched heathen. Never would darken the door of the church. And as a result of his wayward kind of life, George and Mary Jo would speak condemningly of Bill and Donna, his wife. They would judge them for their lifestyle and in conversation would say things about them that would be indicative of what kind of life they were living. 
one day reading Luke 6, 37, which says, judge not and condemn not and forgive that you may be forgiven, the Holy Spirit shot a dart into their hearts. And I thank God for the darts of the Holy Spirit. They were condemned by the word of the Lord over how they were treating their son Bill and his wife Donna, who would never come to church, and they repented. Lord, forgive us for this judging spirit, this condemnatory spirit. Forgive us for not forgiving Bill and Donna. Forgive us for acting like we are acting. Now, just like God, in one week, Bill and Donna came to church. First time. After that dart of the Holy Spirit from Luke 6, 37, one week later, they came to church. And in three months, they had given their lives to Jesus Christ, had become followers of the Lord, just like George and Mary Jo, and the family was united. You see, there's something powerful in this, that we have not learned. We hear a lot of messages about the forgiveness of Christ, and we need to hear them. But this is a message about how we are supposed to forgive for healing physically and spiritually and emotionally, because I am a firm believer that if we don't learn how to forgive, we are affected negatively in all three of those areas of our lives. The answer is here in the Bible, Colossians 3. Let me point them out to you. There are three. Look with me at chapter 3, verse 10. We didn't read it, but it's just ahead of where we read a little while ago. Paul says, And have put on the new man who is renewed in knowledge according to the image of him who created him. That's the first. Put on the new man. You have to learn how to do that. Secondly, in verse 12, put on tender mercies, kindness, humbleness of mind, meekness, long-suffering, bearing with one another. Put on these characteristics. And the third one is in verse 14, put on love. It's just like getting up in the morning and you brush your teeth, you do all those things, and then you put on your clothes. Three times Paul says, Put on. So let me talk about them in the order that they're given. Number one, put on the new man. Now, we've been learning or hearing a lot about change lately in the political world. This is about change. Put on the new man. The rules change. The rules are different. Grudges have to go. Revenge isn't in our vocabulary. Hopefully. We leave judgment to God. We're not carrying around a big stick ready to strike to get things straight so that they will be our way. When you put on the new man, the rules are different. You cannot carry a grudge. You can't go, 
You can't be growling all the time. You cannot bear revenge, and you've got to come to the place where judgment belongs solely to God. It is not yours. Vengeance is mine. I will repay, saith who? The Lord. The new man has different rules. Now, it doesn't matter who is right or wrong when you put on the new man. Let me say it again. It does not matter who is right or who is wrong. That is not any part of the equation. It is not to be considered. Jesus is our example, and if you will notice what Paul said here, as Christ forgave you, And how did he forgive you? Unconditionally. He did not say, now you go out and pay all your bills and you write all these letters and you make all the restitution before you ever come to me. Did he? I'm glad he didn't do that. He said, you come as you are. The great hymn says it, just as I am, I come. That's the way Christ forgave us just as we were, in our rags, in our unrighteousness, in our filthiness, Jesus said, I forgive you just as you are. The prodigal's father waited, waited, waited day after day for his son to come home. And when he came home, he put on him a ring and a robe and he gave him a feast He didn't ask him to make remedy for all the years he had wasted. This, my son who was lost, is found. He who was dead is alive again. Hallelujah. That's how Christ forgives us. But not me. You don't know what they did. No, and don't bother to tell me. Please. Just listen. As Christ has forgiven you, so also must you forgive. We are not to list the right side and the wrong side and see who's winning. We are to simply forgive. Do you know what I've discovered By forgiving, you get loosed. You are loosed when you forgive. The problem is no longer yours. And that's the way the Lord intended it to be. And how does it come to us when we put on the new man? When we receive Christ, we put on our robe of righteousness, we want to be like him, And we forgive even as he has forgiven us. So that's where you start. And if you haven't done it yet, if you haven't received Christ yet, do it today. Do it right now while I'm talking. Say, Jesus, 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 I need you in my life. I want to be a new person. I want to put on a new robe today. That's how you start. Put on the new man. The new man forgives just like Christ did. Then he says, put on tender mercies, and a few other things. 
Now, what are these things that he lists here? They are none other than the characteristics of Christ. They are the things that he lives by. So when you put on the new man and you receive Christ, these things ought to follow. But so often the carnal man exerts himself and gets in the way of the spiritual man. And we don't have tender mercies and loving kindness and forgiveness. So you have to learn it. It's a progression. You learn the characteristics of Christ. Let me just ask you a question, and please don't respond openly. If I were to sit down with your companion and say, what are the characteristics of your husband or your wife? What do you think they'd tell me? Don't you dare do that. Well, I'm not planning on it. But what if I would sit down with your children and say, please give me the characteristics of your dad or your mom? What would they tell me? If I went to the place you worked and got a hold of somebody who is by you day by day, what would be the characteristics they would tell me about you? That would be a little test of what I'm talking about right now. What are the characteristics of your life? Now, if you don't find tender mercies and loving kindness and the rest, it's probably because Jesus Christ is somewhere down the way. He isn't foremost. He isn't the most important person in your life. He needs to come up front. He needs to be the theme of your life. He needs to be the song that comes out of your mouth. He needs to become the lily of the valley, the bright and the morning star. He needs to become the Savior to you. Very real-like, because these are his characteristics. A Turkish soldier had beaten a Christian prisoner in the Middle East until he was only half-conscious. And while he kicked him, he demanded, What can your Christ do for you now? The Christian quietly replied, He can give me strength to forgive you. That's it. When you're kicked and when you're down, these characteristics, which are tender mercies, loving kindness, forgiveness, they come to the fore naturally because it's lifestyle that God is creating within you. Now, friends, these must be alive in us if we're to please the Lord and if we're to meet him someday in victory. And they can be. Back during Ronald Reagan's presidency, the year eight, uh, 1985, President Reagan went to Germany. You may remember the trip, and he was criticized in the press considerably for this trip because he was celebrating the 40th anniversary of the end of the war and he went to the air base in Germany called Bitburg and then to Bergen-Belsen concentration camp where Anne Frank died and many others. And some Americans didn't think he should be there making speeches. And I just was of the opposite opinion. I thought it was great and I loved what he said. 
and I wrote him a letter and thanked him for what he said there on those occasions, and I got a nice reply with full copies of those speeches. And I put them in my forgiveness file. And in one of the speeches, it was the one he gave at Bitburg Air Base on May the 5th, 1985, was the story of a German woman and her young son living in a cottage in the midst of the woods near the Battle of the Bulge. And one day, she was preparing one of the last meals that they perhaps could have had because food was scarce. There was a knock at the door of that cottage, and as she opened the door, there stood three American soldiers, one of them wounded in battle, and all frostbitten by the winter cold. As the shells were exploding not too far away, here stood these three Americans at a German door. She invited them in. She proceeded to fix whatever food she had for them to eat, even though sheltering them and let alone feeding them would have been punishable by death if she had been found. She did it anyway. And as they were eating, another knock came at the door. This time there stood four German soldiers with their guns. The woman was afraid, but with a firm voice, she said, there will be no shooting here. She made them lay their guns down. The four Germans joined the three American soldiers. All put down their weapons. All participated in that makeshift meal. Their natural suspicion dissolved in the warmth and the comfort of the cottage. One of the German soldiers was a former medical student, and he began to minister to the wounded American in that cottage. The boy of that household, the son of the woman, now a grown man, remembered that incident and talked about it, telling the rest of the story. He said, mother bowed her head to say grace. There were tears in her eyes as she said the old familiar words, Come, heart Jesus, be our guest. He said, as I looked around the table, I saw tears in the eyes of the battle-weary soldiers, boys again, some from America, some from Germany, all far from home. That night, as the storm of war tossed the world, they had their own private armistice in that cottage. The next morning, the German corporal showed the Americans how to get back behind their own lines. And they all shook hands and went their separate ways. Reconciliation in the midst of war. How? When you put on the characteristics that are listed here by Paul in Colossians. The world could be healed overnight, as could your life, your family, your situation in this world. It could be healed overnight if we would put on the characteristics of Jesus Christ. And what are they? They're right here. Tender mercy. 
kindness, humbleness of mind, meekness, long-suffering, bearing with one another, forgiving one another. He takes the rough out of us and makes us act like human beings ought to act. That's how you learn to forgive. Take the characteristics of Christ into your life. Come, Lord Jesus, be our guest. There's one more before we can go. The restaurants are waiting, but they will still be there when I'm through. Number three, put on what? Love. Say it again. Love. Say the three words. Put on love. Isn't it interesting that Paul said in 1 Corinthians 12, 31, before he went to the love chapter, chapter 13, I am now going to show you a more excellent way, more excellent than the gifts of the Holy Spirit is God's gift of love, a more excellent way. And then at the end of the 13th chapter, the great love chapter, he said, now abides faith, hope, and love, but the greatest of these is love. And in Galatians 5, verses 22 and 23, there are nine fruits of the Spirit listed, and the first one is love, and the second is joy, and the third is peace, and then it goes on to patience and all of the rest. But you can't have the other eight without the first. They flow from love. Somebody wants to jump in in the middle of the nine. You can't do it. It doesn't work. It all flows from the greatest of these, which is love. It is the summary of all true spiritual life. The ultimate dynamic of love was expressed in Jesus' words in John 15, 13, when he said, Greater love hath no man than this, that a man lay down his life for his friends. And he proceeded to do exactly what he said. He laid down his life for his friends. What are we doing? We're fighting. We're arguing. We're running. We're sick. Because we will not put on love. Love stands every test. Open your Bible to 1 Corinthians 13. Let me show you something. It's interesting that there are two things, two classifications rather, of things that love does, and then there's one section of what love does not do. Let, let's look at what Love does, it suffers long and is kind. This is verse 4. Does not envy. And love does not parade itself, is not puffed up, does not behave rudely. We're in a rude world. There's such rudeness around these days. Love doesn't act that way. Love doesn't rub it in somebody's face and pour beer down somebody's neck and smack somebody upside the head. Love does not behave rudely. Tell you, if I ever get upset, it's when I hear about men beating up on their wives. 
mistreating their kids, and some of them die because of beatings and mistreatment. The first funeral I ever had in the ministry was a a two-and-a-half-year-old twin who died from parental abuse, and the funeral home called me to do the service. That was my first ever funeral. And I had to speak with detectives sitting on either side of the parents. I'd like to beat them up. Why? Because I'm a father. I can't understand how a man could do that. Oh, I do too. It's because they don't have love. Whatever they've got, it isn't love. Love doesn't behave rudely. Love doesn't abuse the wife with language or fists. That's not love. Love doesn't seek its own. Get me, get me, get me, get me. What have you been doing all day? That isn't love. Love doesn't seek its own. Love is not provoked. Now look at what love does. It thinks no evil. Oh, I love that. Does not rejoice in iniquity, but rejoices in the truth. Bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Oh, can you believe what that eighth verse says? Love never fails. If you want a sure thing, pick the horse called love. It wins every time. Love never fails. But you say, it's unfair, Pastor. I'll never forgive my dad for what he did to me when I was a young girl. It's unfair. I'll never forgive that company for passing me by in the promotions. I'll never forgive that man who walked out on me, that woman who left me. I'll never forgive. It's not fair. Well, you tell me where in the world you ever got the idea that it was supposed to be fair. You'll never find that in this book. They hung Jesus on a cross, nailed him there, abused him horribly, and they're arguing around the world as to who did it, the Jews or the Gentiles. It doesn't matter who did it. He said to the whole world from that cross, Father, forgive them. They don't even know what they're doing. It's not fair, but that has nothing to do with it. So it's unfair. You're going to get sicker and sicker. You're going to get more determined than ever to do it your way. Then go ahead if you want to die that way. But I prefer to go to bed at night with a clear conscience and a clean heart. And if Jesus should come in the night, be ready to meet him, having it all cleaned up. I don't want to have anything like that on my head, much less in my heart. It is unfair many times. I agree. It's hard to keep your mouth shut. But I have learned that forgiveness releases us from revenge. You know nobody ever gets even when they say, I'm going to get even. It's never even. You watch TV, it just drives me wacky. 
This, this person's somebody special to them gets murdered, and so they go out and kill 10 more people to get even. Now, that's really something, isn't it? That's great arithmetic. Forgiveness eliminates revenge. Hard? Oh. That's why Jesus had to come. So it could become possible by a love that would last forever. Enemies can never even the score. Their hurt is always worse than the other. You can never get even outside of the message theme, forgiveness. Stop trying to get even outside of forgiveness. When you forgive, you're even. That's it. Put on love. Lewis Smedes has written some wonderful material on forgiveness, and I end my message today with some of his quotes. Take a camera and just shoot a couple of these for, for keeps, will you? Here's one thing he said. To forgive is to put down your 50-pound pack after a 10-mile climb up a mountain. Take a picture of that. To forgive is to put down your 50-pound pack after a 10-mile climb up a mountain. You know what that's like. To forgive is to fall into a chair after a 15-mile marathon. To forgive is to set a prisoner free and discover that the prisoner was you. To forgive is to reach back into your hurting past and recreate it in your memory so that you can begin again. To forgive is to dance to the beat of God's forgiving heart. It is to ride the crest of love's strongest wave. Our only escape from history's cruel unfairness, our only passage to the future's creative possibilities is the miracle of forgiving. I want you to take your Bible and open it again to Colossians 3 as you stand to your feet with me with your Bible in your hand, please. I want you to read out loud with me verse 13 again. Verse 13, Colossians 3, our only escape from history's cruel unfairness, our only passage to the future's creative possibilities is the miracle of forgiving. Read with me. Bearing with one another and forgiving one another, if anyone has a complaint against another, even as Christ forgave you, so you also must do. Oh, God. Oh, God. There is a better way. It is the way of love. It is the love that leads to forgiveness, unqualified, unconditional forgiveness. 
It is the love that clears the way. It is the love that takes away all of the barricades. It is the love that frees man to serve and to be what God intended him to be. Open your heart to that love. Open your heart to the characteristics of the one you've heard about today. Open your heart to the possibility of forgiving one another. Just as Christ, for God's sake, forgave you, so learn to forgive. There will be healing. There will be joy. There will be growth. There will be fulfillment. Amen and amen. Through the gift of tongues and the interpretation which equals prophecy listed in 1 Corinthians 12, the Holy Spirit has underscored the message of this day, asking us to do what we've heard, whether we comprehend it totally or not. It's the right thing to do. Holy Spirit, bring people to this altar who need to let go. They may need to let go of their sin. They may, to let, they may need to let go of some hurt of the past. They've carried a load that you never intended them to carry. May they come and lay it at the feet of Jesus today and put on the new man, put on tender mercies, put on love. Oh, God, draw them by the scores to this altar, and may they go away relieved. And while Pastor Randy leads us, I want you to come from all over this building to start moving. If this message has touched your heart, you know it's for you. God is saying to you, act on it. Do come. Come and bow your knee. Put on, put on, put on, and you'll go from here changed, transformed. If you've never asked Christ into your heart, you come. Somebody will share with you and give you material that will help you. Please come as we sing from all over the building.